Today's podcast is brought to you by Elenco Animal Health and Kelly's Finance. Hello, I'm Kerry Lunigan. Welcome to the Weekly Grill. Today, I will again be visiting the greatest challenge facing Australia's red meat industry. That challenge means that this country's beef, lamb and goat production, including lot feeding and processing, will make no net releases of greenhouse gas emissions into the atmosphere by the year 2030. Our guest is doing his best to achieve that target. He is the chair of the Australian Beef Sustainability Framework, Mark Davey. Welcome. You are on the grill. Thank you, Kerry. Great to be chatting with you. Now, Mark, a simple question. Can it be done? Can Australia's red meat industry be carbon neutral by 2030? I think some people would argue potentially it it already could be. Um, The the big challenge is we're very good at measuring the negative side of, of that equation. So, you know, all of the emission components of it. Um, but as far as if you look at the, the framework, we have the Australian Beef Sustainability Framework, we've got all these important indicators such as carbon sequestration, um, which we just haven't got um, the ability to measure, to measure across you know, the broad scale of the Australian beef industry yet. Uh, excitingly, I think the, the industry, because they've been so progressive on um, creating that goal, um, years ahead of a lot of other industries and, you know, what have seen a progressive group around the world. Um, MLA have really now focused in on these, these four target areas. And, um, you know, with science, we've got to undertake a lot of research and development. And then we've, we've got this critical extension component. So um, there, there's so many tools developing, developing at the moment. And, you know, tools that are, you know, as far as management practice or things like increasing reproductive rates, tools that are have a great carbon, um, you know, effect on reducing your carbon impact per kilo produced, um, but also have a huge productivity benefit for industry. I'll get to uh, how very soon, and I'm sure that's going to be interesting, but I have to mention, and check me if I'm incorrect on this, but has any other country set such a goal for their red meat industry, CN30? I mean, it's an extraordinary... No, I, I don't think any other industry particularly of the scale and, you know, 70,000 beef businesses and 50% of the Australian landscape, I don't think they have. And I think it will become an enormous market advantage by 2030 if, if it can be achieved. And, and we're well on the way to getting there. But um, we'll, we'll go into some of the detail later around the pressure that's on beef industry customers. And the work MLA and the industry are doing is actually going to position us really well for, for high-value markets. Yeah, the EU has set uh, 2050 as the year to be completely climate neutral, but by 2030, the target is a mere 55% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions uh, for the red meat industry, mm. I understand. Yeah, they've, um, and, and their type of intensive production systems probably present a lot more challenges. They're, they're, the other big challenge for the EU is, is just the structure of their agriculture and um, you know, as far as farmer payments and welfare and things like that, it, it doesn't create a competitive landscape that's got to look at opportunities for greater return and greater market. Yeah, there's a lot of handouts in the uh, EU, aren't there, which must distort yeah. the markets. It, and, and if you get paid to, to run 80 cows, you're going to run 80 cows. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting dynamic, and, and I certainly don't think 
Um, you know, it'd be very politically difficult for them to change the, the current structure they've got the industry set up in. And and if you get paid not to grow crops, that must make some for this. Yeah, yeah, or you get paid to pan bird seed and yeah, all these other interesting so, things. So what can the ABSF do to get Australia to CN30 in the red meat industry? Um, so I guess our role is to help define what is sustainability or sustainable production for the beef industry um, and to also engage with you know, a lot of the stakeholders, so from your supermarkets to some of the groups that are, uh, you know, particularly critical of the industry and understand what are their challenges. And, and I think that's important because, you know, the groups like the WWF who participate in our panel and, and the RSPCA and the like, they're very engaged with, um, you know, large listed entities, the McDonald's of the world and the people that are some of our biggest users. Um, and so they, they drive pressure on them around sustainability and, and what's required of the industry. And so what we try to do is, is we, um, we engage with, with all these stakeholders as well, understand what, what is their challenge that they have with industry or, you know, as far as industry's practices on sustainable production. Um, but most importantly, um, we accept their perceptions and the values they hold, but our response doesn't necessarily mean we change to exactly what they require. Um, we try and engage, demonstrate how what we're doing is sustainable and, and how it increases transparency. And I think, you know, as an example, we had an interview with one of the major supermarkets and they talked about they'd like to see some, some more engagement with producers of using renewable energy on, on farm in, in cattle production. And, you know, obviously the industry has probably been the first mover on windmills and solar panels um, in the world as, as far as we're not running leads around the farms. But we have not explained that to our customers, and, and that's the challenge. Their perception is of our industry based on us not engaging them in what we do and how we do it and, and why we do it this way and why actually we're probably one of the most sustainable industries in the world and have the greatest opportunity to meet some of the global sustainability challenges. So, um, yeah, and, and we've got five core values around being transparent, inclusive, credible, practical and relevant because I think we have one opportunity to do it in that way and it's kind of our special source. You know, there's, there's roles for industry in aggressively marketing and advocating their position, but there's also roles in engaging in the conversation and, and looking at how we can, um, you know, in a way respond to market signals and also get ahead of regulatory barriers. Because um, the greatest thing industry can do, and MLA has demonstrated this with Carbon Neutral 2030, is get ahead of the conversation, start to define your solution that includes a requirement to be productive and economic. Um, and you will drive the conversation. And so in Australia, we've seen progress demonstrated. The government's got faith in the path of industry, and whereas in other parts of the world, um, there's just herd reductions and methane reductions and um, because industry hasn't been as advanced. Yes, it's always better to do something voluntarily before government tells you what to do mm. and, and, importantly, how to do it. Absolutely. And... I think there's a lot, a lot of the response will be positive for productivity and, and return for industry. So, um, yeah, it's, it's um, you know, I think it's a, it's a big opportunity. And, 
you know, I, the other big thing is we're, we're not apologists for industry. We're, we're optimists, Kerry. So um, that's what I think the critical role of the ABSF is. Now, the ABSF, who funds the ABSF, the Australian um, Sustainability so Framework? Who, who funds it? Our government sits under the Red Meat Advisory Council and our funding comes from MLA. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've got a, a great program manager, Jacob Beecroft, that's very, very busy and getting busier because this, this sustainability space, particularly in the last two years, um, you know, our events now, we've got to limit the amount of people that can attend. We'll, we'll have representatives from Woolies, Coles, Metcash, Aldi. Because what's happening is there's a, there's a lot of standards being set for listed companies and large companies around sustainability. Uh, And they've got to, in some cases, have responses by as close as 2025. They've got to have mapped their carbon footprint for their whole supply chain. Um, So there's there's huge market forces on them to engage in it. So it's it's becoming an increasingly important area. And we then, we've got a committee made up of um, people selected by our RMAC um, right across the value chain. So um, Carl Duncan from Teague and Trevor Moore from NCMC. Um, and then we've got, you know, producers like Melanie Leather and Jenny and, um, you know, people in big aggregated businesses like Jock at Macquarie. So we're, uh, we're, we're very fortunate. We've also got a new member, Barb Madden, that's the um, president of Alpha. So we make sure we represent all aspects of the value chain um, and all aspects of the supply chain um, on our panel so that we have a pretty good view of how sustainability impacts the industry right, right down the chain. Mark, the, uh, the big beef operators uh, with maybe hundreds of thousands of cattle and, and lots and lots of land, uh, they have special sections of their workforce assigned to this, uh, to this carbon mm. emissions mission. Do you help them or do you work in combination with them? So they, yeah, so they engage in, in our framework, so AACO and NAPCO, and yeah, they certainly um, come along and, and help inform our discussion. So at the moment, I'll go through the kind of the three-year process of how we work is we've got to set what is material to our customers, so what is really impactful to them and impactful to industry. And, and so we will use consultants to undertake interviews with the supply chain and with customers um, around critical issues. So the most important things are things like animal welfare, um, biodiversity, biosecurity, um, so we rate how material sustainability indicators are because we can't cover everything. Um, and then we look at what is available data because part of our remit is we can't, you know, create onerous data requirements on industry. So we've got to find what's out there um, or we've got to kind of help drive MLA and help drive, work with the government to advocate for what industry needs to tell its story. Um, and then we, yeah, we work out what indicators are available and then we start to build up and report on them. The exciting thing now is we're, we're entering a phase of, of goal setting. Um, so similar to what, what happened with CN2030, we're looking to set sustainability goals across some key areas uh, around things like, you know, natural capital and biodiversity. And these are industry goals. So it's, it's not the SSG that just sets them. It's, we've got extensive consultations across all the peak industry councils, um, events, interviews with subject matter experts. Um, I think there'll be some online forums as well that producers can and, and participants can dial into um, because, yeah, we're, we're looking to set goals across, you know, a number of areas like deforestation because Woolies and Coles have got zero deforestation goals in 2025. Um, 
So industry needs to really engage in that space. And and the challenge is with all these, these sustainability elements and initiatives, there'll be a market access risk or a regulation attached. Um, and it will involve a definition and probably a lot of lobbying from a lot of very focused groups that are a lot better funded than what the meat industry funds its, um, you know, its advocates and its policy groups. And the person that kind of sets the regulation, it, it's not the regulation itself, Kerry, the definitions of the words within it. That's, that's where it really matters. And so deforestation won't be defined by knocking down a tree. It's determined by the person that defines what a forest is. Uh, and and that's the challenge. Industry needs to take the Australian context and advocate that on a global um, global level. Mark, I've heard uh, graziers say mostly smaller graziers say they're running five hundred or a thousand head, and they say I want to be sustainable and I want to be carbon neutral, but I also, of course, need to be profitable. Is it possible for these smaller operators to be all three? I think it is. Yeah, I think it absolutely is. We're seeing. Um, you know, things like re- regenerative brands, and that's a very, uh, I think, emotive term for producers. But, um, you know, coming into these California and these high-value-added markets, there are now programs getting established. And, um, you know, what is regenerative? A lot of producers at that kind of level would actually fit into it. Um, it's not necessarily high, you know, rotation cell grazing. Um, it's just are uh, you managing your, your feed loads? You know, are you responding to that with your cattle and whatever it is the program defines. And so there'll be those those positive market opportunities. But the other thing will be just if we can, you know, align ourselves to you know, a sustainable way of production, we will also have the data to advocate for our access to high-value markets. Yeah. If you want to do what you want on farm, then you're wanting to compete with Brazil. And I don't think in the Australian context of labour costs and things like that, we can do that. You know, we've got a high-value product that people should cherish because of our production. This will uh, negate the the the, uh, the problem of higher cost in labour, especially with Brazil, mm-hmm. and, and and we have a product which is carbon neutral, much more so than might come out of Brazil. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So as an example, we had a, a company present to our, our launch last year, Starzen, um, and they're a Japanese company that procure a lot of the meat from McDonald's in Japan and their own supply chains. And Japan's our single biggest um, export customer. And they were taking us through the requirements of their listed on the Japanese stock exchange. And for them to maintain their prime listing, the requirements they're going to have to report on around the carbon emissions of their supply chain are going to be particularly onerous. And so if Australia is carbon neutral, um, it will suddenly find us out in any market where there is a listed company, it'll find itself well up a list of where they need to procure their meat from to in order to meet the, the regulatory requirements that are now sitting on those businesses. So I think the biggest challenges for industry are probably getting set on the other side of the world by a group of accountants somewhere that want to solve a, a perceived customer problem and it'll be a reporting requirement and a protocol on, on how that's calculated. So, yeah, it'll have a material impact on our industry. But if we are carbon neutral or if, you know, we were at 58% offset in our last report, all of a sudden we've already got a figure that these customers can incorporate and it makes Australian beef more attractive. So, Mike, you've spoken a lot about threats and opportunities. I assume that's one of the threats. 
Uh, yeah. You, yeah. The, the threat is to Australia's red meat marketing opportunities if we don't achieve those 2030 goals. Absolutely. I think there is a... But I think it's about how you have that conversation because if, if you're demonstrating progress and you're measuring it, you're going to get a lot closer than, you know, if we never had the goal. The other challenge with measuring carbon, you know, carbon emissions of the industry or carbon sequestered in the soil is the best measurement is probably kind of a three or five year average. And it, it's not a point in time because, you know, if you look at something like the bushfires in 2020, if you're looking at the Australian country's carbon emissions, all of a sudden we had all our emissions double because of one event. So there is a risk that there will be years where events will happen beyond our control. But I think the activities that are being set in place and the research coming out of it will have the industry in a good position. And you know, there's plenty of threats, but I think the future is always run by the optimists, Terry. Yes, sir. Uh, and I, I also note the mention of animal welfare quite strongly in achieving these goals alongside being carbon neutral. What's the priority here? Sustainability or animal welfare, or is it all part of the one big package? So it is part of it. So animal welfare is one of our uh, priority areas and because it represents such a risk to industry and, and also a challenge. So, so the EU negotiation, there's a lot of pressure around welfare because Europe is very, very good at, at creating these non-tariff trade barriers. They are indeed, yes. Yeah, it's suited to their form of production. So, you know, highly monitored cattle that are very much contained. And, you know, we, we, we believe and we need to demonstrate that freedom is an important thing for cattle and the ability to, to be more open and less monitored in the Australian system has... It's different. It's not necessarily worse welfare. And so it's, it's on us to go and demonstrate those benefits. Um, yeah. Because no one chooses to move out of home and move into a nursing home, Terry. They, um, they enjoy their freedom. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Now, you mentioned uh, vegetation management. How do you plan to integrate all these different, usually state-based rules about the rules and regulations surrounding vegetation? That's probably the, the thing I focus most of my, my time on, um, particularly you know, di- different forums and uh, meetings invited to do with groups within supply chain because it, it is such a big challenge. You know, we've got companies that are they're making commitments by 2025 and it'll come down to what you define as a forest. And, you know, particularly Queensland gets highlighted a lot for deforestation, but it, it's 87% remnant um, and a lot of the clearing is regrowth. And so it's how do we get a definition that captures that? Um, and the Australian definition is 20% canopy cover, which I think for the layperson, you know, my son's four years old, if you set him a paddock with 20% canopy cover, he wouldn't fall in a forest. But that's the, the definition we, we currently have in Australia, and it's 20% two metres high, and that's been determined by working groups and experts, and that's what gets mapped in the national account. The EU definition is 10% canopy cover but it is five metres high. So if a company's in the EU and they've, they've got to report to that definition, there's going to be a lot of reporting requirements over the top. Um, and the 10% five metre high definition might actually be more suited to Australia's landscape because two metres in central Queensland might be a year and a half of a, of a sucker. It's problematic. And you know what we're managing is not high-value um, ecosystems. And and the other challenge is that there are some big producers in Australia that would love to go back to 
you know, 80% canopy cover, if they could get back to 50, 80 metre trees, high open canopy, you'll protect your ecosystem underneath it from frost, probably have a more productive landscape. But the path to take your country back to that requires a lot of management, probably a lot of mechanical intervention with things like a bulldozer to, to ensure you're picking what's going to regrow and selecting what comes back. And if you've got reporting requirements from customers that mean you can't touch a tree over a certain size, you won't be able to achieve that. And, you know, the intention's good in wanting to stop deforestation, but the quality environment you can't measure from canopy change in a satellite. Like, it is the quality of the environment on the ground. And we've got to have rules and requirements that um, enable us to manage the land in a way that is productive, but can also create a healthier ecosystem. And Right now, how things are being defined probably don't achieve that. Yeah, well, good luck negotiating with the states. Now, carbon neutral does not mean carbon-free, does it? Am I right in thinking it's all about carbon offsets? It's about, yeah. So, obviously, you've got, you've got two sides. You've got your emissions and what you're sequestering. And you can manage your emissions by becoming more efficient or, or things like, you know, Sparadopsis or Threenop to reduce them because it if you map a beef business's carbon footprint, 80% of it's methane. And there's a big challenge around should that be recognised as a flow rather than a stock. So if your herd stays the same size, there's no real change in the methane because it's breaking down every 12 years in the atmosphere. Or as we measure it now, which is, um, you know, all, all, I guess, emissions on every year. And so then you're offsetting that with what you sequester. The challenge will be the forest can emit methane once it reaches maturity. So a lot of this kind of reforesting has a has a timeline, and then it will start to emit um, as the environment breaks down and and decomposes. So yeah, it, it's about offsetting the two sides of the ledger. And the other challenge is that there's a, a, a Senate inquiry at the moment into carbon reporting, and I think it's just closed. Um, and it looks at science-based targets and the international standards. And one of the international standards is still in draft, but it makes it very hard to incorporate land-based offsets, which for the beef industry and the forestry industry would, would be a terrible outcome. Um, and, you know, I guess that they want to stop offsetting from other industries, just using mulga in regional Queensland to offset, not changing how they reduce their own emissions. Um, I can understand why they want to do that, but when you are a land-based sector um, and that is part of your management, vegetation and carbon sequestration and things like that, that should be part of how you can calculate what you're offsetting. Mark, uh, Richard Davey, uh, Richard Norton, I beg your pardon, former boss of BMLA, put up CN30 in 2017. It's now 2023, obviously, almost halfway. Are we halfway to getting to CN30? We- we are past halfway, um, so I think that's exciting. We've had a, a lot of, of offsets through regrowth, which is which is one of the challenges. But the important thing is the the reduction. I mean, we're developing the technology in that, and it'll only just be starting to flow through. So I know MLA is spending about forty million dollars on a trial of three knot in um, parcel systems where it would literally just be two weeks of programming with it at weaning, and it's looking like it reduces reduces the carbon emissions of those cattle for the rest of their life by setting how their, their gut flora operates with that product. So I think there'll be plenty of ways to do it. If you do like Richard Eckhart's carbon course, 
goes through. There, there's hundreds of tools in the toolbox. I mean, one of them, as an example, is a project up in the Burdekin where they took a 10,000-hectare block, put in 300 hectares of irrigated lacina, doubled the production and effectively half the carbon footprint of the beef coming out of that landscape. Then you get these overlaps between goals because essentially there is a position for um, development of, of high-value agriculture in northern Australia to help create forage, reduce the carbon emissions by creating more efficient production in that landscape. But if you have a de- zero deforestation goal, even though you could re- set up a project with offsets, you're ruling out all of that opportunity for development and the ability to hit those other targets for industry. So um, there's this huge interplay between all these goals, and, and I think part of our role is just advocating that globally. And the other biggest thing for industry is we've got to produce protein and we've got to produce beef. Um, we've got a role to feed the world, and, and it's a very hungry world. When I went to the roundtable for global beef, um, sustainability in America. There was a new head of sustainability at JBS gave a speech and talked about the fact that we have to produce as many calories in the next 30 years as we, as we did in the previous 10,000. Um, otherwise, people will go hungry. So, um, you know, we've, we've got all these things we need to balance and and the economics of the industry is a really, really critical one. Otherwise, the other things will fall off. Mark, a final question. Australia's share of world CO2 emissions is 1.16%. Why should we even bother in an economic sense? Or a carbon emissions reduction, is the carbon emissions mission, is it a moral obligation for Australia? You know, I think we we all agree we've, we've got a challenge that we've got to address. And um, the other thing about being innovative and, and continuing to lead the world is, you know, if you've got the science and you've got the committed people, we we can generate the solutions which can help to address these challenges in a lot of the rest of the world where it emits and also continue to create our, our quality of life by being a high-value producer, producing, you know, agri-technologies, um, creating jobs in this space. And you only do that if you choose to lead. So I, I think there's, there's benefits for us, but the other thing is, um, there was a guy, Cameron Brewer from JBS, that talked in an address about producing food for people is, is a privilege, but doing it sustainability. sustainably is an obligation. You've got a role to play there. Mark, uh, your writing point on the CN30 emissions journey for the red meat industry of Australia. Mark Davy, Chairman of the Beef Sustainability Framework. Good luck and thank you for being on the grill with Beef Central. Thank you, Kerry. Really appreciate it. And thank you for joining me today. Until next time, I'm Kerry Lonigan, and this is the Weekly Grill brought to you by Alenco Animal Health and the Kelly's Finance Group. Mm-hmm.